Yeah, just to kick things off, um, I want to ask you a question. Have you noticed how much advertising is everywhere these days? Do you ever pick up on that? It's just ads everywhere you look. I already noticed this on Tuesday night when I was at the gym. And before anyone points it out, yes, Tuesday was Valentine's Day. <laughs> and yes, the fact I spent it at the gym probably does reveal uh, a little bit about the extent of my love life. But we don't need to talk about that because it wouldn't take very long anyway. Um, but I was really noticing just how um, there were ads everywhere I was turning. So I'm in the gym getting changed, and over the, the radio comes um, an ad for Weight Watchers. And this lady saying about how happy she was, now she's lost all this weight, blah, blah, blah. Go into the gym, get on the treadmill, start watching some really classy TV. I think it was Jeremy Kyle. Um, and uh, start watching that, I mean, enthralling. It's great because they don't have... My gym's, gym's very basic. It's better gym on Sickup High Street. So it's basic, basic. No subtitles. So you're kind of looking at faces trying to work out what are their issues going on here. It's quite interesting. Anyway, it goes to the, um, the ads and there's another ad for Weight Watchers. I mean, I don't know if they're intentionally hitting it on Valentine's Day, but um, another ad for Weight Watchers, all sorts. Then I go outside into the high street and you walk past all the illuminated signs with ads. Then you pull your phone out. You're on Facebook. There's a, an ad for some gambling website and some hair removal, hair loss something or other cream in all sorts. And then you think, all right, I'm done with these ads. I go driving home, go to the petrol station, and you think, finally, a moment where just you're free from adverts for a second. And I'm, I get the pump, put in my car, kind of lean back and kind of take a, a breath. And you look down at the pump handle, and they now have ads on the back of the pump handle. Have you seen that now? You can advertise on the, like a two-centimeter size advert because, you know, even at the petrol station, they're trying to sell you something. And then finally, I'm free. I'm driving home. I get home. I open my door. And what do I see? The first thing I see when I open my front door and I get home on the floor in front of me, a pile of letters. Now, back in the day, the thought of getting letters was exciting. But now, if you're anything like me, you're like, here we go again. You pick it. What's the first thing? A letter for Virgin Media's latest offers for broadband. Standard. Then the next one, takeaway menus. And then the next one, an, uh, uh, a letter specifically addressed to our house. Oh, okay. Doesn't say any names. Oh, I know what this is going to be. Open up. An estate agent basically saying, we are the greatest estate agent. If you use us and our unique services, we'll make you more money than any estate agency can make you. And I'm thinking, that's great, but I don't even own this house. But spicy chicken burger and chips for $2.99, we can talk business. Literally, ads everywhere. Wherever you look, there's just ads, ads, ads. And companies spend billions on advertisement every year. Why? Why do you think they do that? Because ads work. They influence the way we think, we feel, and we act. Now, if I'd started off today by saying, are you someone who's influenced by adverts? You'd probably say, nah, not, not me. Or someone, I say to you, are you someone who's easily influenced? You might say, nah, nah, I'm kind of, I'm my own person. We have this belief in our culture, you know, I make my own decisions, I'm my own person, no one has any influence on me. But when we look at the reality of advertisement, or if we're just honest enough to know our own hearts, we know that's not true. And the question, the, the thing we're looking at in the Bible today really asks us an important question along these lines, and it's this, what voice are you listening to? What voice are you listening to? So if you want to turn to the passage with me, if not, it'll be on the screen. But we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, continuing on in the series that Dave and James have kicked us off in so well. And just a reminder of a bit of the context of this. So this is Paul, who has been going around Europe, planting churches, preaching about Jesus. 
And he's probably the, the most influential Christian there's ever been. This guy has had a huge impact on the Christian world, and not just that, but the world generally, the way in which we think about life. And so he's writing to Timothy, who's also been involved in his work, but it's, it's not really kind of a colleague. Timothy's like a son to Paul. So Timothy's probably, if we had to guess, maybe the person Paul loves the most. Added to that, Paul is on death row. So he's imprisoned. He knows that he's going to be executed at some point. And so he's saying the things that are most important to him because he knows his time is short. So you've got the person who's probably the most influential Christian ever writing to the person he loves the most, showing the things he thinks are the most important, which makes this book and the passage you're reading today kind of a, a helpful thing to be looking through and pretty valuable. So if you've got your Bible, wow, I'm multitasking it. This is tricky, isn't it? Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Also, this music stand is about as stable as my love life, so here we go. Don't even know what that means. <laughs> to be stable, there has to be stuff happening, which, anyway, enough about me. <laughs> ah, that wasn't planned. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. It's a nice way to start off the chapter, isn't it? Nice uplifting verse for you on Sunday morning. But I think it's helpful just to pause there for a second, because this is kind of what James was preaching about last week, isn't it? I think for some of us, when we think about life, we assume that as Christians, it's supposed to be easy, and it's all going to go kind of swell and smooth. But Paul's saying, we need to be reminded that sometimes life is hard, and that's for all of us. So let's keep reading. So why is life difficult? Well, because for people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into the households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janice and Jombres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain for all to see, as was that of those two men." So then a bit more upbeat from Paul now. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How about I read that one again? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know what? When I read this, this was one of the verses that hit me the most. We're not going to dwell on it too much today, but the implication of that verse is if we're living a godly life in Christ, we'll face persecution. Or if we flip it on its head, if you're not facing persecution currently, are we living a godly life? Big challenge to us. Let's keep reading. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, talking about the Bible, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So we've obviously got a lot in there, but it's basically Paul saying, here's the problem, life is difficult. Why? Because all of us have people speaking to us and influencing us that are trying to take us away from God. And so then he goes on to give us the solution. Well, let's start by looking at the problem. First of all, the passage is saying we're influenced by different things. And the Bible sums it up a bit like this. The, wor- the world, the flesh, and the death. The world. I say that in a bit of a Somerset accent. The world, the world, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So what's the world? That's talking about culture and friends. So culture, the things around us, what makes up that? Adverts, news, media, the internet, social media. And all of us are constantly taking stuff in. Every day, all of us are taking in more and more information than ever before. Did you know that now, we are now taking in five times as much information as we did in 1986. So in the past three decades, the amount of information that you take in every day has gone up five times. If you get your head around that, it's a little bit crazy, just the amount of information overload we have. Does anyone have any idea how much the average Brit, how long we spend watching TV on an average day? Any idea? The average Brit spends four hours, four hours a day. That's the average. So some a lot more, some less. What about social media? What's the average that someone in Britain spends on social media a day? An hour and 20 minutes a day. (laughs) A lot of time spent on these things. And we're constantly filling our time, aren't we? If you've got one of these in your pocket, a smartphone, you've got an endless supply to information. And we're always on it, aren't we? Always filling our times. We, we struggle to not have a time when we're not filling our minds with something. I don't know about you. What, for me, whenever I go to the toilet, what do I take? My phone. You see people at a red light. What are people doing at red lights? You see them on their phone. You see people at a restaurant, maybe. It's getting a bit boring. They're on their phone. You see people at church when the sermon gets a bit boring. Look, guys, I'm not judging. I know it's the Bible app. It's the Bible app. I'll believe you. God is watching, but I'll trust you. But the thing we've got to be careful to, to realize is this isn't just neutral information coming at us. Everything you're taking in every day has a voice that has something that's being said. So you might be thinking, I'm, I'm just reading the BBC News. They don't have an agenda or a particular worldview. I'm just reading my newspaper or magazine or social media. It's all neutral. Not at all. Everything we're taking in is saying something about how you should view relationships, sex, money, your image, what you should be looking like, what you should feel about the fact that you, you own a house or don't own a house or your car is a sewer. All these things constantly coming at you have a voice and they're constantly speaking to you. And the most dangerous place you can be in is thinking that you can take in all this information and it's not having any impact. So that's the culture. But what about our friends? People around us, family. See, a lot of people around us say really helpful things. Maybe you've got some great friends, I hope you do, great family, giving you good advice. But for a lot of us, there's people in our lives who sometimes say things to us that aren't always that helpful. Have you ever had that? Anyone ever said anything to you that isn't the most helpful? Now, when we read the passage we looked at in Timothy in chapter 3, you know that really long depressed that was a little bit heavy about, you know, lovers of money, abusive, disobedient to their parents, slanderous, brutal... 
We could read that and think this is talking about, you know, like the really bad people over there. But when you know the context of this chapter, do you know what it's talking about? People who say they're Christians. This isn't a kind of baddies out in the world. This is people who are saying, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a churchgoer. And I don't know about you, but for me, some of the, the most painful, some of the most hurtful, some of the hardest things to recover from, just unkind, unfair things that have been said to me, said over me, aren't from bad people out there. It's from Christians in my life. Maybe the same is true for you. And Paul's saying we need to be aware that even people who we assume are saying truth to us don't always get it right. And that's why we need to have a good understanding of the Word of God, which we'll talk about shortly. So that's the world, or the world. Next, the flesh. That's talking about us. That's talking about me. Our own voice talking to ourselves. Now, for some of us, it's pretty obvious that we talk to ourselves all the time. I'm someone who constantly speaks to myself out loud. If you followed me, if, there, if I was on like Big Brother, you would think I was crazy because I'm always talking to myself. I was, I was asking my colleague Melinda a few days ago, I was like, do, I, do you ever notice me talking to myself? She's like, yes, all the time. Yes, constantly. And I'm like, yeah, no, that is fair. That is true. But the reality is whether you talk to yourself out loud like me or not, all of us are talking to ourselves constantly in our own minds. And this isn't just a mental health issue. It is a, a mental health issue on one, on one side. I think it's easy to say, you know, it's kind of all these people struggle with, with bad thoughts, but, you know, that's not my issue. Now, all of us are constantly saying things to ourselves that aren't true. What are some of them? I'm not good enough. I've got no purpose in life. When people, here's a classic, when people get to know me, they stop liking me. I have to show that I've got everything together and hide my vulnerability if I'm going to get by in life. Here's a classic. Everyone else knows what they're doing except for me. You ever felt that way? You ever thought that? So that's the world and the flesh. And then finally, the devil. What's your picture of the devil? Maybe it's this kind of cute little cartoon with kind of red horns and a pitchfork. But the Bible has a much more kind of sombering picture of the devil, that we do have an enemy. This isn't just some kind of mythical thing. There's a force at work that's trying to trip you up. It calls him the father of lies. He's constantly trying to get you to believe stuff about yourself that isn't true. Maybe in our modern language, we might call him the master of fake news, giving you headlines about yourself that could be true, but then when you dig a bit deeper, it's just absolute rubbish. But you're tempted to believe it about yourself. Now, you might say, well, that's kind of, you know, temptations of the devil. That's just for, for you know, new Christians, maybe. But all of us will experience this. Who, who experienced the temptation of the devil? Jesus. And if he experienced it, you can be pretty sure that you will too, however mature you are as a Christian. And the devil's biggest strategy is to make you believe that he's not speaking to you. If you're here thinking, nah, that's not me then the devil is pretty pleased about that because he's trying to trick us all into believing lies about ourselves and we're not even aware it's happening. So that's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Pretty sombering stuff. It's the problem that Paul presents. And thankfully, he doesn't just leave it there. Otherwise, he'll be very depressed. He then gives us the solution to this in verses 14 to 17. 
So it says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's the key verse. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. What's that saying to us? It's saying that this book here, the Bible, whilst it might just look like a book, just like a load of words on a page, this is actually the living word of God. The one who made you, the one who knows you more than you know yourself, these are his words of life to you. And I think maybe for some, maybe you've you've grown up in church and you hear that and it's kind of like, yep, yep, I kind of... I get that. And I think one of the biggest challenges some of us face is over-familiarity, isn't it? I think, I was trying to calculate the other day how many Bibles I've owned in my lifetime. Maybe if you grow up in a Christian home, you might want to do this. And I think for me, it's probably about 15 in my life. And I read these stories of, of people in China. I even read one this morning of these people who, this is a 73-year-old lady been a Christian most of her life, and she's just been given a Bible in her language, and she's so happy, and she's been, they had one Bible for about 100 Christians, sharing it around and tearing out pages and learning it off by heart. And I think, I really just can't relate to that kind of excitement anymore because it's just kind of a bit numb to me, a bit dull to me. Do you ever feel that? I think that's the problem that many of us can face. That although there's 130 million books in circulation, we have the one that has the word of God in it. This isn't just another holy book or another kind of top seller. Yeah, it's the best-selling book of all time, but it's the word of God to us. Maybe for you it's not familiarity. Maybe you're kind of newer to the scene. And for you, are just a bit skeptical, which is fair enough, to be honest. If you've never investigated the Bible, you've been within, your, your, within reason to say, well, it's just another holy book. There's the Quran, there's all sorts, there's lots of claims. What's so different about this? And that's, that's a very fair question. And it would be impossible for me to address that completely here. I will do sh- sh- uh, in a sh- kind of summarized way. But I'd encourage you to, to join something called the Alpha Course. Maybe you've heard people talk about it. But on the Alpha Course, they spend a whole session, a whole evening, talking about how can I trust the Bible. Out of interest, who here has either been on an Alpha Course or been involved in running one? So yeah, a lot of people in the room. So if that's... If that's you and you're thinking, you know, I'd, I'd like to explore this more, I can kind of cover it a bit today, but the Alpha course will give you a chance to ask your questions specifically and discuss it in a really fun environment. But for me, I think there's three things that are compelling as to why this is truly the Word of God. First of all, it's historical reliability. Now, maybe for you, you're like, history, that stuff bores me. Fair enough. But I think it's important to know that the Bible isn't just some book of legends. You know, I saw an interview, uh, a survey recently done with kids. More people think that Xena warrior princess existed than Jesus. That tells you something about our culture. This is a, I studied history at university, and a big part of when you study history is you're working out, is what is being said real? Did it happen? And when you look at the Bible, for me, I've studied this. I've spent months going into it because I went through a real season of doubt where I just I kind of stopped believing in God and the Bible and thought, nah, it's all made up. And I researched it and I was amazed at how it's literally like no other book. It's not kind of like, oh, well, there's the Bible, there's the Quran, there's this, there's that. There's no, there's no book that comes close to the Bible in historical accuracy and its reliability and its translation and transmission. And we won't get all into the nerdy stuff, but it's, it's fascinating just how reliable this book is. 
And if you do the Alpha course, if you do that session, they go into all that kind of stuff, and it's really, really compelling information. But secondly, it's not just this kind of academic, we can trust it because it's historical. I think we can trust it because God didn't just say all this stuff. He showed it. See, it's easy for someone to say something. I can say to you, oh, I love you. But it doesn't really mean much unless I show it. And God didn't just say in, in, to his people in the Bible, oh, I love you. He showed it. What did he do? He came from heaven to earth. First of all, he said, I'm going to get down onto your level to say, I, I know you. I want to be close to you. Then he said, I'm going to take away all your sins. He didn't just say it. It's easy to claim. But he showed it. He died on a cross, did the most incredible act, took the most horrendous punishment and pain, the death that you and I deserve for all the sins we've committed. He took on himself because he loves you. He didn't just say it, he showed it. And the coolest thing for me is he didn't just show it, and it's like, wow, that was amazing for them. He still shows it today. See, when we read these stories, you could think, ah, well, that's for a people back then, and it's not for now. But whenever I read the Bible, I'm just like, wow, this is so true for my life now. This is, I have a lot of friends when I talk to them who aren't Christians, they say, how can you base your life on a book that's 2,000 years old? Like, it's just not relevant anymore. And I'll say to them, have you actually read the Bible? Like, the stuff in it, I mean, I could give so many stories. When I was going through a tough time recently, I was, I was trying to work out how to respond to someone who'd hurt me, who'd, who'd yeah, kind of dishonored me and not sure what to do. And I read the story of David and how he responded to Saul, who tried to kill him. And David had the chance to strike him back and to kill him, and he refused to. And this wasn't just a story from thousands of years ago. This, this really touched me, because I thought, that's so much like my situation. Where, yeah, I'm not getting spears thrown at me, but it kind of feels like it verbally. And I'll just say to you if, you, if you're like, why would I base my life on this book? Can I just encourage you, read it. You'll see people just like you and me going through the stuff you're going through, same fears, same dreams, same hopes. The Bible says that this is the living word. It says in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What that's saying is the Bible gets me, it gets you. When you read it, you're not going to read about kind of stuff like, whoa, that's not my situation, that's not me, that doesn't understand what people are like in 21st century Britain. Now you're going to find truths that are eternal. These aren't stuck in some old book, these are things that are living words that will transform your life as they have mine. And so the, the Bible, we've talked about a lot about the lies that can come at us. But the Bible says that the word of God is the power to defeat the lies that come at us. It's the weapon against the enemy. What did Jesus do in the desert when Satan tempted him with lies? What did he do? Every single time he quoted verses from the scriptures at him. At one point he said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.13 at Satan. He didn't kind of, you know, have to go off on some big spiel. He's like, look, I haven't got time for you saying, here's the truth. You are lying to me. I'm going to quote the truth at you. And that's what we can do in our own lives. For me, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was in my kitchen, and I was just about to go out and meet someone. And I knew the meeting was going to be awkward, uncomfortable, and difficult. And I started feeling really anxious. Do you, ever, do you ever have those kind of times where you're, you're kind of about to meet someone and you start doing the conversation in your head? Kind of, well, I often actually just practice it, which won't surprise you. 
by thinking through what you're going to say and how they might respond. And actually, sometimes you're already annoyed at them for the things they're going to say, and they haven't even said it yet. <laughs> and I was there just, I, I started feeling, I, 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 when, I'm, when I'm anxious, my, I really feel it in my body, and I felt it in my chest, and I was short on breath, and I kept drinking, but my throat was tight. And I just thought, this, this isn't what God has for you, John. This isn't the life he's won for you. And this verse came to my head. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I I literally repeated that verse in my head in my kitchen over and over. And as I did, just the anxiety left. And the, the unease left. And the peace of God flooded into my heart. The tightness in my chest left. And that's not just kind of saying some self-help mantra. That's not just telling yourself good things over and over again. This is the word of God who knows you. There's power in these words, not just because they're nice things. It's because God is the one who backs them up. See, when he says, do not fear for I am with you, you feel the peace of the Holy Spirit. It's not just words on a page. It's a living and active word. Maybe for you, you've got to speak some truth from the Bible against some other issues. What's, what's yours? Maybe it's the, the guilt of past sin. It's a big one for me. Stuff in the past that you're still annoyed or angry or ashamed about. And in those moments when you feel that, you can quote Psalm 103.12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That stuff you're struggling with, Jesus is saying, as far as the east is from the west. That's how much I've, I've forgotten it is gone from you. You can quote that to yourself to fight against the guilt of past sin. Maybe for you, it's just feeling insignificant and pointless. You're like, let's be honest, my life doesn't really mean a whole lot. My, no one really ca- kind of cares about what I'm doing. Maybe in those moments, you could quote Ephesians 2.10. I am God's workmanship, created for good works. You remind yourself, I'm a child of God. My life isn't pointless. He has a specific and unique plan for my life that no one else can do. That's the truth that you can tell yourself and you can build your life on it. Maybe a few of you are just struggling to have enough money. It's just another week we are thinking about, am I going to get by? And you can read the countless stories of God providing and providing and providing. And verse after verse where he says, I'm going to provide all that you need. What about this one? Living in fear. Living in fear of the future. To me, I'd say this is the biggest one I'm seeing around me at the moment. In my lifetime, I've never seen anything like it. Just the tangible fear that I'm seeing people living with. If you get your phone out, go on BBC, go on social media, any of it, you will see people constantly talking from a place of fear about everything that's happening around our country, around the globe. Went out for coffee with a friend last week, and I said to him, how are you doing? And before they talked about themselves or their family or any of that, the first thing they said was, I'm scared. I was like, okay, why? And they said, I'm just scared of everything that's happening in the world at the moment. This is someone who's very wealthy, got a great family, all that stuff, and she's scared. And I, I said, okay, well, talk me through it. She's like, well, just everything's unsettled. Everything's kicking off. I don't know what is what anymore. And we have a choice to make. We can either read the accounts in the news or in social media or in the papers or whatever, and we can base our life on fear Or we can open up our Bibles and look to the sovereign God who holds the whole world in his hands, the one who orchestrates history, 
We can say, I keep reading all these accounts of people saying, oh, I'm, I'm terrified about the leader of the free world. Well, I look at my Bible and I say, I know the leader of the free world. He's not the one who sits in the White House. He's the one who sits on the heavenly throne. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm going to build my life on the one who said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That Jesus is the one who I'm going to find my peace in. I'm not going to find my peace on who's elected or what's happening over there. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus his blood and his righteousness. That's where I find my peace this morning. Are you living in fear today? Are you feeling anxious? Look to God. Look to Jesus. Read the truth of the God. And you know, sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. And sometimes we do have to speak about injustice. But what we can't do is live in fear. What we can't do is put a person or party or organization above the living God who is holding all things in his hands. That's the truth that we have to, And that's a unique thing. I think for us as Christians, we can often look around us and say, oh, there's so much going wrong, people turning from God. I think we now probably have the greatest opportunity we've had in many years to show the difference the gospel makes. The peace you can show your colleagues, your family members, your friends, of knowing Jesus in a time where everything else is falling apart and people are freaking out, you can show the peace of God that's going to pass understanding. People won't get why you have that peace. And that comes from knowing the truth of God found in the Bible and experienced in our own lives. I love this. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You know what? Bloggers and tweets and celebrities and presidents and prime ministers and pastors, all going to pass away. But the word of God is going to be the same yesterday, today and forever. You can build your life on that truth. Well, I'm conscious that you guys have got kids and you're in a new place, so I'm not going to keep you for much longer. But my final encouragement for you is this. Let's be hearers and doers of the word. See, I think for many of us, we can kind of hear stuff like this, but it's a lot harder to act it out, isn't it? Like if you, you read those verses that kind of sound cool, but then you try and put it into practice like, love your enemies. You ever tried that one? Forgive those who've hurt you. See, it's easy to read it, but Jesus calls us to be hearers and doers of the word. But the cool thing is when you do it, you see the power in it. So you might think, I can't love that person. I can't forgive that person. I felt that way myself. But when you do, you see that it holds true. These are things that when you live it out, you're not going to say, whoa, I, Jesus promised this and I experienced something else. The word of God is true. And just one final encouragement for, for parents. I know there's, there's several different parents here. I just really want to encourage you to give the gift of the word of God to your children. See, we often talk about, you know, I want to give my kids nice things, nice education, nice holidays. The greatest gift you can give your kids is bringing them up knowing the word of God. So, you know, I talked earlier about when I was in my kitchen and anxious and nervous, the verse that came into my head that I'd memorized, guess where I memorized it? As probably a 10 or 11-year-old boy around my parents' dining room table. See, every week my dad would would get us to memorize a verse and he'd type it out on a piece of paper and to try and make it a bit more exciting, he'd put some kind of cheesy clip art on it or some cartoon he'd found. And it was, I mean, I'm a graphic designer now and I cringe at the thought of what they used to look like. But as kids, we didn't care. 
And every week he would read it to us and then test us. And we'd try and do half of it without looking. And then the whole thing. And usually it would take more like a month to learn it. But he would keep, keep going with it. And in the space of my childhood, probably learned a couple hundred verses just through the gift of that from my parents. And you know what? You can't guarantee that your kids will follow it. But what you can guarantee is that a seed will be planted there. And who knows, maybe they'll turn away from God, but when they're in the deep point of darkness, or maybe they're at their best point and it feels so shallow, something might come into their minds. That verse you taught them. Maybe they're in their kitchen. Maybe they're out in a club. Maybe they're just the peak of their career. That vo- vo- the, those voices, those verses that you've taught them can make all the difference. So parents, I just encourage you, maybe it will feel weird if you haven't done it before, but bring up your kids in the knowledge you've got. It's the greatest gift you can ever give them. Can we stand to pray? I think the, uh, for those of us who are honest enough, we, uh, we can find this quite difficult. I'm the type of person who gets roused often at New Year that I'm going to read the Bible like never before and do all these things. And then by about January the 5th, it's not going too well. And maybe you're, you're not like me. Maybe you wake up at five every morning and read the book of Leviticus, then have a two-hour prayer time before you do your 10K jog. But I think for most of us, this real life is hard, isn't it? It's either finding the time to do it or just when we're doing it, getting what the Bible is even saying. So I just want to encourage you before we pray, if you're not in a community, that's the best place that you can be learning the Word of God. Yes, we need to do it in our own, on our own time, 100%. But if you're struggling, get alongside someone who can talk to you, can help you. There's a lot of resources out there that can point you in the right direction you can do together. Timothy, his grandmother and mother, helped bring him up in it. So as families as well, we can do this thing together. But ultimately, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We're not on our own. If you're going to try and just, you know, make a 10-point plan today and work really hard, it's probably going to fail. But with the help of God, we can become hearers and doers of the Word.